Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Family, it's good to be with you today. I was gone, had the opportunity to be gone last week, having a little extra time with family, and that was, that was a blessing, delight. Thank you for letting us be able to do that. But it's so good to be here. We, we miss you all, and, and what a good morning it's been. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we come to open His Word. Father, I want to thank you as, for the opportunity we have of gathering as family both gathering here in person and gathering with, with an, quite a number online. And um, uh, what a blessing to be able to join together, to join our hearts in worship, to join our hearts in prayer, to join together as we open your word and hear from you. And I pray that you would speak through your word to us this morning, that we would be listeners and doers. We thank you as a church for the opportunity to be uh, engaged and to be partners with those who are going to places where we cannot all go, to carry the good news of Jesus to people who desperately need to hear. And so we're thankful for this uh, new partnership, which we are beginning with, with RJ and Janessa and their family. We're thankful for the burden that you put on their heart and the the gifts that you have put into their being that will enable them to be effective in this ministry. We ask your blessing upon them. We ask that you will help us to be faithful in our standing with them, with prayer and with encouragement and supporting them, and that we would see you do great things uh, in the days and years ahead. Now, Father, as we open your word... Thank you again for giving us your word to teach us and instruct us and to help us to get to know you. So may your blessing be upon us as we study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I encourage you to take your Bibles and open to the book of Philippians. Uh, A number of weeks ago, we began a study here in this book, and uh, we will finish up this study in uh, next Sunday, actually, Lord willing. It's been, I've heard from a number of you, both an encouraging and a convicting study, and I can attest to that as well. When uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Aaron spoke, and I was leading worship, and I was sitting out there and the, the message was, don't worry. And I was all thinking about the rain coming in and the, uh, what are we going to do about the baptism and the picnic and how are we going to... And I was worrying all the time he was preaching about, don't worry. Then last week as we were on vacation, we were, uh, uh, the family was gathered around and we were watching the service here and I'm watching Brother Andy speak. And, and he's talking about not whining and complaining. And I was... I was listening to the sound and going, wow, that just doesn't sound good. And so I'm texting with the techie guys here going, what's going on with the sound? Complaining, you see. (laughs) Uh, The Word of God is always convicting, is it not? Uh, Pointing out where where we need to grow. 
And we come today to verse 8 of chapter 4. And just in case you haven't been with us, when we began this study, we began in verse 1. We noted that the Apostle Paul there says to these believers in Philippi, he says, he calls for them to stand firm in the Lord. And uh, he's concerned, he's worried about them because he knows that it is difficult to stand firm for the Lord. We have an enemy, first of all, we have an enemy, Satan, who desires to take us out, to take us down, to wash us out spiritually. We not only have Satan, we have troubles and difficulties and problems in this world. We have difficult people. All of these things tend to try our faith and test us, and, and we find ourselves tempted at times to give up, to throw in the towel, to, and it's hard. So the apostle says that he tells us to stand firm, but the, the basis for that firm standing, that basis for remaining strong is in the verses that come just before it at the end of chapter 3 where, the, where he reminds us that when we became believers in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith in him, that we were not only saved from sin, we were not only rescued from, from hell, we were also given a destiny. We were given a home in heaven, an eternal destiny there. Our citizenship, he says, was transferred from here to heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we are awaiting our Savior who will come from there, who's, who will be coming back to take us to be with him forever. And how we look forward to that. And knowing where we're headed, knowing what is coming, we can withstand whatever the trials, whatever the difficulties. We will not cave, we will not give in, we will not wash out because we have been rescued by the grace of God. As R.J. reminded us, rescued from our sin by his amazing grace and given such a marvelous destiny. But the apostle recognizes it's still going to be hard. Living here in the trenches, living in the day-to-day, in the dailies, how do we stand firm? He doesn't just tell us stand firm. He has given us some help. And that's been our study here in these first verses of chapter 4 of Philippians. Paul gives seven commands, which I believe are seven keys that when we put them into practice in our life, help us to stand firm in the Lord. In the first couple of verses, the apostle calls for us to agree in the Lord, to stand together. Then he calls for us to rejoice in the Lord, to be joyful. Then he calls for us to be gracious, to yield our rights to others, to not insist on our own way, but to graciously give up our rights. Then he calls for us, as Pastor Aaron reminded us a couple of weeks ago, to not worry about anything, but rather instead to pray about everything. Today we come to the next commandment, the sixth key here to help us to stand strong, to stay firm, to stand firm in the Lord. Verse 8, Philippians chapter 4, follow along as I read. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, 
Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What I would call here the sixth key to help us to stand firm, it is for us to change our thinking. Change your thinking. You know, there are many people that, that think that to become a Christian is to check your brains at the door, to shut off your mind, quit thinking, and then you can become a Christian. That may be true about some religions, but that concept is not at all Christian. Christianity is not like Eastern mysticism and related religions, similar religions, that seek by various different means to empty the mind, to empty the conscious mind so that we can enter some higher consciousness. That's not Christian. In contrast, biblical Christianity calls for us to think. You know, most other religions do not claim to have or to be absolute truth, but Christianity does. The Word of God claims to be true and the only truth. Christianity is integrally connected with truth, and it demands truth. And so, unlike most other religions, if any part of our faith is proven demonstratively false, then the whole thing crumbles. Christianity does not call us to abandon reason, but rather it is a reasonable faith. It calls for us to seek truth rather than seeking feelings and emotions and experiences. There's nothing wrong with feelings and emotions and experiences, but those are things that happen along the way from time to time as believers, but they are not the basis of our faith. They are not what we seek. The Bible calls for us to seek truth. Luke chapter 10, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? If you remember his response, Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And then Jesus did something unusual. He added words as he was quoting Deuteronomy 6. He added these words, And with all your mind. That is not a trivial nor an insignificant addition. And by the way, Jesus can add to the Word of God because He is the author. (laughs) We are to love God with our mind. God gave us our mind and our intellect and He wants us to use it. Therefore, the Scriptures highly value our mind. They highly value thinking. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Check it out. He commended the Bereans 
who he said, when they heard us preach, he said they, they got on the, they immediately pulled out the scriptures. I don't know why I pulled out my phone to look at the, I was going to look up the text <laughs> to check it out, to see, is that what he really said? Which is why we encourage you every Sunday to bring your Bible or at least to pull out one from the pew and check it out and follow along. Make sure that what I say is what the text says. And if it's not, you call me to account. Because truth matters. It's worth noting that history is filled with Christians who were great thinkers. Well, you see it in many fields, but for example when we just look at some of the greatest discoveries in science, we discover that they were made by devout, godly Christians. People like Francis Bacon, who is the father, considered the father of modern science. William Harvey, who's considered the founder of modern physiology. John Ray, who's considered the founder of systematic biology. Carolus Linnaeus, who is considered the father of systematic botany. Isaac Newton, who is the father of physics. Robert Boyle, the father of chemistry. Louis Agassiz, who is America's leading biologist, also the, the world's leading ichthyologist, which is the study of fish, in case you didn't know that one. Michael Faraday, the discoverer of electromagnetic induction. And we could go on. Folks like Edmund Haley, Haley's Comet, Galileo Galilei, Louis Pasteur, and on and on. God wants us to think. He wants us to use our minds. Unfortunately, we live in a culture where, by and large, we tend to think too little. And when we do think, we tend to focus on things that are trivial, things that are inconsequential, even things that are detrimental. One author I read commented that one of the great casualties of our age has been the death of the contemplative life. The death of the life, the person who takes time, significant time, to think. He wrote, A person sitting at his desk and staring out the window would never be thought or be assumed to be working. No, thinking is not associated with work. That is our culture, is it not? The late English writer Aldous Huxley Criticized modern life, he wrote, Most of one's life is one prolonged effort to prevent thinking. There's his, that statement rang true in his day. But he died in 1963. I wonder what he would say today. That was before the explosion of all the personal electronics like I'm holding in my hand. Good reason why I use this. I can make the type bigger But you see, those little electronic devices constantly call for our attention. They're so needy. They're constantly getting, during the first service, they were like two or three things that popped up on on this. Text messages, emails. 
And what do we do when we're out at dinner with family, when we are sitting in meetings, when we are driving in the car, when wherever we are, we're like, you know, during the message, half a dozen of you already have gone. Right as I said that earlier, somebody's phone went off in the first service. See, they scream incessantly for our attention with calls and texts and emails and social media. We become not only distracted by those things, we become addicted to entertainment. So we have elaborate gaming systems to take up all of our free time. We have home movie theaters so we can sit back and watch and you know, 12-foot screens and surround sound. We have megawatt sound systems in our cars. We can even take all of those things everywhere and anywhere we go, holding it in our hand or wearing it on our wrist with those little wireless earbuds discreetly in our ears, blasting out whatever it is. Non-stop. It's one of the reasons, by the way, why we value camps. And we, we bar all the electronic devices <laughs> to tune out for a little while. Can't tell you how many folks I've heard over the years, I can't sleep without my earbuds. Maybe you should try. Even more than trying sleeping, try thinking You see, silence and the opportunity for our mind to live with itself for just a few moments, it's exceedingly rare in our culture unless we make a conscious, deliberate effort to unplug, disconnect, and make time to think. I think in our culture, silence has become scary to most people. Just like right now, you wonder, what's he going to say? <laughs> he got quiet for a second. It's scary. Wait, what's that? He got quiet? He can't be quiet in church. The opportunity to think is a rare thing in our day. But the Scripture here calls us to change our thinking. Think about these things, our text says. It doesn't just say, don't think. It says, change what we think about. This verse is not calling for us to just have a positive mental attitude. It doesn't call us to just play mental games to help us feel good and to perform well. It doesn't just call us to silence. It doesn't just call us to reject our contemporary world. It doesn't do what Christian science or mind science, so-called, all of those things, or the positive confession movement or the word of faith does where we, we somehow want to change our thoughts and our words so that we create a reality by our thinking. We try to manipulate reality by our thinking. It's not that at all. But this passage, this verse, is calling for us to engage our minds to use them, and to direct our thoughts towards specific things, specifically 
we see some listed here. Let's look at the list. He says, we are to think about such things. What are these things? First, he says, things that are true, whatever is true. It's very clear in the Greek language, and it's just as clear in the English language. It's whatever's true versus whatever is false. I know we live in a world where they try to blur that dichotomy. There's no such thing as truth. There's no absolute reality. Where yes, there is absolute reality and absolute truth, and God could not be clearer about that. And he says we are to pay attention to what is true versus what is false. What is real versus what is fantasy. And what is illusion? We have a culture, and we have an industry, and we have an enemy, Satan, the father of lies, all of which are in the business of trying to create fantasy and to pass off fantasy as reality. And it is not so. He says, think about things that are true. Well, where do we find truth? Well, the obvious answer is it's the Word of God. John chapter 17, we studied that earlier this year. John 17, 17, Jesus in his high priestly prayer said, speaking to the Father, your Word is truth. The Word of God is truth. Jesus, John 14, 6, in the upper room, just before that high priestly prayer, Jesus said, Answering Thomas's question, he said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So where do we find truth? We find truth in Jesus. We find truth in the Word of God. He says, not only whatever things are true, whatever things are honorable. The New International Version says, whatever things are noble. Whatever things, in other words, are worthy of respect. We would also think about whatever things are, our text says here, are just, or as the NIV says, are right. In other words, whatever things are in agreement with the righteous character, the righteous nature of God. Whatever things are in harmony with God's eternal and unchanging standards. What is right? What is just? says we are to focus our minds and think about whatever things are true, honorable, just, and whatever things are, the next in the list, whatever things are pure, whatever things are morally clean and undefiled, which automatically wipes out 90% of the stuff that's broadcast out there through all the electronic devices and the movies and the entertainment industry. There's so much that is not pure. It is impure. It's vile. It says, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are attractive or pleasing, we are to think about such things. Whatever things, it goes on to say, are commendable. In other words, they are admirable, as the NIV translates it. They are well thought of. They are highly regarded. They are considered valuable. There's two more in the list, and as I read all the commentators, they, they almost all say, well, these are best seen as summary words. In other words, there's a list that could go on, but just kind of summarizing the, what we're talking about here, he says, if there is anything excellent, anything of excellence, or if there is anything that is worthy of praise, anything praiseworthy, 
Think of these things. I like the way John MacArthur translated this verse. He said, since there is excellence and since there are things worthy of praise, focus on them. You see, it's quite a change from the way that most of us fill our minds, what most of us spend our time on. It's saying don't waste our time filling our mind with junk, but actively and intentionally engage our minds with things that are true, with things that are productive, with things that are of lasting value, with things that are good, with things that are godly, with things that honor Christ, with things that build up rather than tear down. And so very definitely what he is asking us to do is to make a change. But when we think about that, what we realize is if I'm, if I'm going to line up my thought life and my thinking with what this text is asking us to do, it's going to take some work. Because I'm going to have to be analyzing and think about, what is it I think about? <laughs> asking the question, what is it I spend my time thinking about? Where do I spend my time? What do I fill my, my mind with? Media and entertainment and what do I think about if I do happen to get quiet and sit there on the back porch staring out into the backyard? And are the things that I'm thinking about, are they meeting this criteria? Or the things that I'm thinking about, the opposite of this? And what I think we will discover when we do that is that there are things that need to go. And we'll discover that there are things that need to be added in. And when I think about all that, I say, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of thinking. (laughs) And I usually don't do that much. And so why in the world would we want to do that? Why would we want to go to the trouble to change our thinking? Because then, once I recognize and identify, here's the things that should go and here's the things that should be added, it's going to take effort. Why would I want to do that kind of work to actually change how I think? And to all of us who are work averse, (laughs) we're allergic to work, (laughs) you know, why would I want to do that? Why does this really matter? Why is it so important? Let me suggest some biblical answers to that question. First of all, as I look in the Scripture, what I discover is that our thoughts matter. What we think about matters. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. As he thinks, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, What we think about in our hearts is really what we are. What we spend our time thinking on is really what we are, not the display we can put on sitting in a pew on Sunday morning. So we can all dress ourselves up and look pretty nice and sit in a pew and look very pious and godly. But as we think in our heart is what we really are. Not by, not, it's not what people see necessarily on the outside. Secondly, 
Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we think about, what we spend our time dwelling on, on the inside, works its way out on the outside. It shows up in how we talk. It shows up in how we act. If we have problems with our mouth, if we have problems with our actions, if we have problems with the way we treat people and the things that we do that we shouldn't do and the things that we neglect and we procrastinate and whatever, it reflects a problem on the inside and how we think because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. An old saying puts it this way, you sow a thought, you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. In other words, thoughts lead to action Action leads to habits. Habits lead to character. Character determines destiny. Therefore, this verse calls for us to think on these things that build rather than things that destroy. The word that's used here for think is the word logizomai, from which we get the math term logarithm. It's a word that means to think very carefully, to think calculatingly. To contemplate things which line up with these virtues and then to observe and analyze these things like we would a math problem so we can put it into practice. That's, that's the point. It's, it takes intentionality. So the Bible says our thoughts matter. Another reason why this matters and why we should want to change our thinking is because right thinking prevents sin. James chapter 1, and I think in a couple of weeks we'll be starting a series in the book of James this fall on Sunday mornings. Uh, James says this, James 1, each, of, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, dear brothers. In other words, sin begins in the mind. No one commits murder unless they have first built up hatred and rage Anger in their heart, in their mind. No one commits immorality unless they have first lusted in their mind. Sin begins in our minds and then it works its way out. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, says that as believers in Jesus Christ, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, many things happened. Our sins were forgiven, as we mentioned earlier. We were given a destiny they were going to heaven. We became children of God. We also, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that we were given a new mind. We were given the mind of Christ and a capacity to think and to understand spiritual things and spiritual ways. But the Apostle Paul, as he was writing the Romans in chapter 12, he reminds us there that this new mind needs continual tuning, continual adjustment, needs to continually be renewed so that we don't revert back into the empty pattern of thinking that the world has and into and 
revert back to living in the ways of the world that's in rebellion against God. It says it this way in Romans 12, don't conform or don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, His good and pleasing and perfect will. This renewing of our mind requires a couple of things that aren't really that inobvious. They should be fairly obvious. The first is that we avoid those things that can to steer our mind away from right thinking. We need to avoid the things that mess us up mentally and get us thinking like the world. All that, as much as we can of that world of the input, it's going to be bombarding us all the time. We, none of us can escape it. We're in the world. But that doesn't mean we have to feed on it, okay? Second thing, first choose to avoid that which steers our minds away from Christ and godliness and purity and truth. And then secondly, we need to focus on inputting the Word of God into our life. David asked the question, Psalm 119, verse 9. He said, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man keep his way pure? The answer, by living according to your word. That's simple. How do I not sin? Well, I do what God says. I keep his word. Well, then comes the question, how do I do that? Two verses later, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. In other words, you take the word of God and you, you by hiding it in your heart, means that you read it. It means that you think about it. You meditate upon it. It means that as you continue to do that, it starts to become a part of you. You not only know what it says, you understand what it says. And matter of fact, you're even able to restate what it says. It says, and you may even memorize it. That's hiding God's Word in our heart. And I'll tell you, when we do that, God uses His Word to change us. The Word of God is alive and powerful, the writer of Hebrews writes. And it can change us from the inside out. And so D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from Chicago from over a century ago, he wrote, he said, This book, the Scripture, will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. One of the two is going to happen. Which one are you going to do? A third reason why we need to change our thinking, very practically speaking, right thinking helps us live well. Thinking is good for us. Thinking well, thinking godly, thinking rightly, it is good for us. When we think rightly and live rightly, it improves our relationships. It improves our health even, our well-being our ability to stand together as we look at these six commands in this, that we've been looking at so far, the seventh one next week, our ability to stand together, to get along with each other, our ability to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord always, our ability to be gracious, to give up our rights, our ability to not worry, but rather instead to pray about everything, our ability to do, to do those things very much depends on right thinking about God, right thinking about ourselves and our uh, relation with God, 
and right thinking about our circumstances, our situation. Now, I can just illustrate it from Pastor Aaron's message two weeks ago where the message was, don't worry. And if you recall, Pastor Aaron took us back over to Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus essentially gives the same command. I tell you, do not worry. And then in Jesus' explanation of why we should not worry, Jesus calls for us to observe. He says, look at the lilies of the field. And he said, look at the birds of the air. What Jesus did, as you pay attention, he calls us all the way through there to use our mind, to think. I'd say, don't worry. Now look, observe the lilies. Do the, do the lilies work? No. Nope. Can they work? No, they're lilies. <laughs> they sit there, and yet God clothes them, and the lilies of the field are more beautiful than Solomon in all of his splendor could have ever been with all the robes he had. So why do you worry about clothes? Look at the birds of the air. The birds, do they work? They're birds. They go out and they find food. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And he says, are you worth more than a flower? Are you worth more than a bird? The answer is yes. (laughs) He says, so why do you worry? Your heavenly Father knows what you need and he'll take care of you. You see, you worry not because you think too much. You worry because you don't think enough. And you're not thinking clearly. You're not thinking clearly about who God is and who we are in relationship to God as his children and about our circumstances. We need to think better. And so Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his word, he meditates day and night. He thinks about God's word. He spends time in God's word. This person, notice how he describes him, is like a tree planted by streams of water. You know, the last week or so in the drought, uh, everything was shriveling up and, and drying up and Things where the water's flowing right by, it's standing good. It's doing well. He says that's the person who thinks and meditates in the Word of God. He says they're like a well-watered tree. Their life is fruitful. They're strong in times of trouble, and they are prosperous. And so it is. Right thinking is critical to living well. One more reason, one last reason as I wrap it up. Why, another reason why we should change our thinking, and that is because our minds are a stewardship. You have a mind because God gave you one. Now, some of you are a lot smarter than me. A lot of you are a lot smarter than me. <laughs> but yet God has given us all varying abilities, and he has given us the ability to think. And he expects us to think. He has given us the ability to think so that we might know him and so that we might think and live productively to his glory. This verse here that calls for us to think and to think on these things 
certainly does call for you and me to maximize our input of God's Word into our life and minimize the input of the world system into our mind. It certainly is a call to do that. Try to not feed on that stuff and try to feed on God's Word. It's a call to that. But this verse is more than that. This verse is also a call to holy living. Because how we live is a result of how we think, we are to think on these things which lead to holy living rather than thinking like the world does which leads to unholy living, sinful living. This verse is a call to holiness, but it is much more than that. So what else is this verse? This verse is also a call for you and for me, all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, all of us who trust Him as our Savior, is a call for us as we go out and live our lives to go out and think. To be people who live thoughtfully rather than people who live aimlessly. Rather than people who live mindlessly, coasting through life, which frankly is most of our culture. And it is a way that we all tend to drift to, to just going along. And instead, this is calling for us to actively use our minds, to engage our minds, to notice and to study and to explore and to discover the wonders of our great God through his word and also in his creation so that we might then give him the honor and the glory and the praise that he deserves. And then we are as well to write and to compose and to build and to bake and to cook and to create and to film and to, you know, whatever it else it is that, that we find ourselves having abilities and inclinations to do, we are to go and do those. And we're to do those with the minds that God has given us and the abilities that God has given us and with the opportunities that God has given us to discover and explore and proclaim the glories of God to a world that needs to hear. Even as RJ and Janessa are committing to go into the deep, dark jungles of Brazil to people who have no witness for Jesus Christ, why would they do that? Because people need to hear about Jesus. God calls for all of us to use our minds in whatever it is God has put you to do. Whether you are a doctor or a lawyer or a street sweeper or, you know, fill in the blank, is to use our minds to the best of our ability to glorify God in such a way that the world understands that there is a God who loves them deeply, who has made them 
They are separated from him because of sin, but God loves him so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sin, to pay the cost of their sin, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And the more that we think about that, as R.J. mentioned earlier, the more that should excite us and motivate us and move us so that we cannot keep silent. There is nothing more important that people there need to hear than that marvelous truth. Father, I've gone long. This is a big subject, and yet, on the other hand, it's so simple, and yet... It's something we, every one of us struggle with because of various things. We struggle with this because we live in a world filled with distractions and we get distracted. And so we, we focus on things that are of really very little consequence and we don't focus on the things that truly matter. This is a problem for us because sometimes we, we forget our purpose. Our purpose is to declare your excellencies. And so we need to remember that. And we need to be like children as we go through this world, never stopping and never failing to see your goodness and your grace and your glory and your majesty and noting it so that we can proclaim it to others. Help us to be discoverers and inventors and, and uh, students. Father, we need this because as well sometimes we become rebels And we neglect your word because we want to go our own way. And it is to our peril. So, Father, help us to take these words and not walk out of here and go on as if we haven't been confronted with your truth. But instead, may this grab hold in us and may it bring about some change this week in the way we think which in turn will affect the way we act and even who we are. So, Father, help us to think well, that you might be glorified, that we might be changed, and that people will hear about Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.